Father, that's the reason we exist. We were created for your glory. And we should say whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we should do it all for your glory. And yet we confess that our focus is often so selfish and narrow and it excludes you. So redirect us even this morning in worship and help us to be refocused on what truly matters. All glory be to Christ, in whose name we pray. And God's people said, amen. I remember bowling several years ago with a rather accomplished bowler. This was back in the days before the computerized screen kept your score. And uh, so I was uh, keeping score, and I noticed this person came over after the fourth frame and made a mark on the score sheet. I said, what is that? This person said, that's a period. I've been playing poorly, and I want to put a stop to it. And sure enough, as I recall, this person began to pick up as a bowler and got focused and did better. I thought, that's fantastic. So I tried it. I can remember I had three periods in 10 frames, <laughs> and it meant absolutely nothing. I'd try to stop, and then I'd do again what I did before. But there's something positive, is there not, about putting a period to a bad experience, putting a period to a bad year, <laughs> putting an end to something so there can be a fresh start. And that's what I see the Apostle Paul urging us to do in the wonderful book of Philippians chapter 3. Open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're out of our series of Christmas. We're out of our series, not yet back into the series on Joshua. We'll pick that up in a week or so. But something to focus us on the new year. So here's Philippians chapter 3, and the Apostle Paul is writing from prison. This is not his last imprisonment, not his final one. He still has several years to live. He doesn't know that. We do. Uh, but he is writing from prison and reflecting upon his life. He says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all of this. And the all of this refers to his desire to know Christ, verse 10, to gain Christ as he says in verse 8. Not that I've all already attained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward or upward in Christ Jesus. Did you notice that the Apostle Paul used the word goal twice? Verse 12, I've not arrived at my goal. And verse 14, I press on toward the goal. Uh, clearly, the Apostle Paul was a goal setter. He had nothing against this idea of laying out before us some desire with a deadline. That's what a goal is. It's a wish with a deadline. 
it has some specifics to it. We define what we want to accomplish, and then we also add a process to it. So we have some steps to take for that ultimate objective. Paul was not against setting goals. It's a very big thing for us in business to go to time management seminars or even in the spiritual realm to talk about this idea of how to plan our life. I simply want you to know it's a good thing for us occasionally to set goals just like the apostle did. He had missionary goals. I want to go to Spain. I want to go to Rome. I want to preach the gospel where it's never been preached before. He had some clear goals like that, but then he had personal goals, like the type that he's talking about here. I would encourage you to set professional goals, maybe family goals. That would be a good thing. What would you like to achieve as a family? But then spiritual goals, which is what Paul is highlighting in this portion of Scripture. He uses the language of an athlete. And I simply want to present to you that the Apostle Paul gives us a wonderful example of personal evaluation. And he says, I've not yet arrived at my goal. It's good for us on occasion to take spiritual inventory and to see how we're doing. Paul's goal, and again, if you go back to the early portion of the Scripture, uh, chapter 3, is that he wants to know Christ, verse 10. He wants to experience... Now, he knew Christ salvifically. He knew Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He had been redeemed, born again. He was a believer. Use whatever term you want. They all mean the same thing. He was a Christian. He knew Christ, but he wanted to know Christ. Does that make sense to you? I hope it does, because salvation is not breaking the tape at the end of the race. Salvation is the gun starting the race. Conversion is the beginning of getting on this wonderful experience, this wonderful journey, this race, as it were, of getting to know Christ. I want to know him, verse 10, he says, and experience the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ and experience the power of his dying, which means I want to learn how to die to self, like Jesus did. And I want to live forever, experience the power of his resurrection. So that is Paul's clear goal. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 21, you know this verse, don't you? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you know Christ, death is promotion. It's not, it doesn't mean that you want to do it immediately, uh, but it means that for you to live, for you to experience life, it's all about Christ, and for you to really live life, Christ is at the heart and the center. Is that true of you? That's a great verse to start out a new year. This year, I pray that I can experience Christ in a deeper way and honestly say, for me to live is Jesus. Jesus meant everything to Paul. 
And so he's stopping to consider his progress. The word consider is used several times. Verse 7, he considers everything that he once achieved as lost or useless. I consider it garbage, he says in verse 8, so that I might know Christ. And he says, now I consider that I've not yet arrived. So he's He's engaged in a healthy self-examination. I want you to know that personal self-examination can go too far. Some of you should not hear this message, examine yourself, because that's what you do all the time. You're always looking in. You're always worried about what other people think of you. You're always evaluating yourself in a negative way so that you live with this horrible self-concept that I'm useless and I'm nothing. And so for me to say to you, examine yourself, you say, boy, that's what I do every day. I'm glad you're telling me to do it. And every day I come up short. Now, I'm not saying that. There's a healthy self-examination, a healthy spiritual life assessment. Just like you go to a doctor, to a GP, to assess your physical health. Don't you? I hope you do. There may be things going on that you're not aware of. I'm not just trying to scare you, it's just reality. And if you're mature, you'll know that. And it's a wise thing to get checked out physically. But if you don't want to do that, how about at the end of the year when you're forced to gather all your records for a financial health assessment because you have to go to the tax collector. And so now you have an opportunity to assess your giving. Does it match up? Does it reach, reach the status of a person who says for me to live as Christ? And you look at where you spent your money as you divide it into all those categories. It may be looking for deductions. And so you, you consider your spiritual health and you consider your physical health. Why not consider, or your financial health, why not consider your spiritual health? How'd you do this past year in growing into Christ-likeness? By the way, we often have a very poor view of our own self worth or concept revelation chapter 3 you know this verse in revelation 2 and 3 jesus is writing to the churches that were in asia minor and uh, he is the spirit he is the he's the one who writes to the messenger christ is revealed in chapter 1 and then he speaks to the churches and there was a church at laodicea that was neither hot nor cold they were lukewarm and here was their own spiritual assessment. I am rich, I am increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. Jesus said, but you don't realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. We often have very poor, uh, poor assessments of our own spiritual status. So we go too far one way or the other. We give ourselves too much credit or we don't give ourselves enough credit. By, by the way, when it comes to spiritual assessment, the end of it is this. Look away from yourself and look to Jesus Christ. One look to self, ten looks 
to Christ. The only way I get through the day is to look to Jesus because I'm a miserable fa- I'm a lot like this, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. That's me without Christ. I love Paul's brutal honesty, don't you? He's forthright. He is, there's a candor about his comments. It's refreshing as he discusses his own spiritual advancement. And so his desire, his goal is Christ. But notice he's very honest about his deficiencies, his shortcomings. He acknowledges his lack of progress. Verse 12, I've not obtained what I'm searching after totally. Or he says in verse 13, I've not yet grasped it. I've not yet taken hold of the very thing that I'm pursuing. I've not finished the race. I've not yet arrived. Some of us live as though we've arrived. (laughs) There's not much more I can do to grow this spiritual life. I'm pretty much where I need to be. If you want to follow Christ, just look at me. Now, Paul did say that, but Paul was very honest with himself as he was pursuing Christ. But some of us think we're pretty close to Christ. I mean, I've been at this thing for many years. I don't have to work. I don't have to repent. I don't have to pursue. Oh, yes, you do. Because let me say something to you that sounds very harsh at the end of the year when you may be weeping over past failures. Let me say something to you. You've got a long way to go. Pastor, who you're referring to, every single one of you, including myself, you've got a long way to go. No, I don't. Yes, you do. And if you don't see it, that is really sad. I'm not saying you haven't done some good. I'm not saying that God hasn't grown you in his grace, and that's wonderful, but you've got a long way to go. You haven't arrived. This is the context in which Paul is writing. He's not only imprisoned, but he's surrounded by false teachers who are preaching a perfectionism that says that they have arrived. The philosophy of the day was that there was a secret religion and if you somehow got into the secret and you arrived at this level of spiritual maturity, you've arrived and you look down your spiritual nose at everyone else who hasn't. To those false teachers, Paul puts forth his own example and says, I may be an apostle, and I am, and I may have seen Christ, and I have, and I may have been transported to the third heaven and seen things I can't even explain, and I did, but I simply want you to know I've got a long way to go. And if Paul has a long way to go, who in the world do you think you are, right? Who do I think I am? Oh, I don't like talking like this either. I don't like it when the doctor says, you're overweight. Or the doctor says, you're flabby. Or the doctor says, you've got high blood pressure. Or the doctor says, tell me about your diet. I really don't like that. But I've got to confess that there are some things I do that don't help me physically, and there's a lot of things that I do that don't help me spiritually, and it's time for personal evaluation. 
in Revelation chapter 3. This is in that same context where Jesus is talking to the churches. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wow, that's a tough one. South Church has a pretty good reputation, I guess depending on who you talk to. But that doesn't mean that we've arrived. And in some areas, we're lethargic. And we've got room to grow. And that's good because God wants to grow us. He says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That would be a useless verse if I've arrived. Here's the problem with thinking that you've arrived. There's an interesting insight here in this passage to the psychology of Christian perseverance. We don't persevere to be saved. We persevere because we are saved. The person who is tempted to succumb to the snare of perfectionism will lapse into a state of spiritual complacency. They will consider that they've already arrived at the goal and regard fellow believers as also rands in this great spiritual race. So I hope you can say with Paul, my desire is Christ, to know him and to be like him, but I'm so far from him, I've got a long way to go. I haven't arrived. That's Paul's brutal personal evaluation of himself. But notice he doesn't stop there. Secondly, there is this passionate determination in Paul. The second time he uses the word goal, he says, I want to press toward the goal. I haven't arrived, I haven't grabbed hold of it, but I'm pressing on. Did you notice that word used a couple times? I press toward the goal. He says, I string, verse 13, toward the goal. This is clearly a runner in a race that has his eye on the tape. And he's waiting to breast the tape at the end of the race. And when he does, he is won. Don't stop running until you break the tape. So I'm straining to break it. All of us have seen those pictures of the Olympics or some race where someone does not realize that their opponent is right behind them and they, they let up the last 10 yards, and someone passes them and breaks the tape first. Now, this is not a competitive race. We're not running against each other, but we're running to gain the prize that God has set before us. And we need to strain and press toward the mark. So Paul puts it this way. I've not obtained, verse 12, I've not arrived at the goal, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's a beautiful way to express it. Then Paul says, this one thing I do, middle of verse 13, I forget what is behind as I press on and strain toward what is ahead. Did you know that Forgetting the past can be a very good thing. 
Did you know that forgetting could be a spiritual blessing? We battle with forgetting all the time. The problem is we forget the things we should remember and we remember the things we should forget. So we've got to switch that around. Don't forget the names of people. Birthdays and anniversaries. You say, but I'm always forgetting. Then do something so you don't forget. Tattoo it to your hand. That's a bit extreme, but I'm saying whatever it takes, remember. Remember appointments. Students, remember the answers to the test questions. Remember your internet passwords. These are things that we should remember, but we easily forget. Remember the goodness of God this last year. Do you remember? Remember how good God was to you? You say, well, I had a hard time. Forget all of that. You deserve condemnation. Anything above that is pure grace. Remember the goodness of God. Count your many blessings, and it will surprise you what God has done. I'm surprised when I look at my checkbook and I categorize it in all these categories for deductions. I'm surprised sometimes how much was spent in one category and what wasn't spent in another. Count the many blessings of God and it will surprise you what God has done. But it's helpful to forget our sins when one's confessed because God does. Some of you keep remembering your sins over and over and over. I know I said personal evaluation is healthy and it's good, but don't dwell in the past. You've got to forget it. By the way, the Apostle Paul was... He was about as good as you can get when it comes to obeying the law. Go back up to verse 5. He gives a, a little bit of his own pedigree, a little bit of his own past. And he said, none of us should glory in what we've done. Have no confidence in the flesh. But if anyone should have confidence in the flesh, <laughs> I love this about Paul, he's very honest, it should be me. He said, this is what, middle of verse 4. If someone thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I'm more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. So he is of the best nation, God's people. And he followed God's law, the Abrahamic law. He's in step with a covenant, circumcised the eighth day. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. Now that's in the, the greatest part of the kingdom. That was the southern kingdom next to Judah. And this was the tribe where their first king came from, King Saul. It's a small tribe, but it's a best, one of the best tribes. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What does that mean? Cream of the crop. The best of the best. By the way, Paul's not bragging here. He's just telling the truth. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. What does that mean? With regard to education, MIT. Something like that. As good as you can get. And as for zeal, I persecuted the church with a passion that no one equaled. I killed Christians and threw them into prison. And with regard to the law, faultless. 
So if anyone could claim that they were following the law as best they could, Paul could. But notice what he says in the next verse. Whatever was gained for me, I called garbage in light of gaining Christ. So we've got to forget our past. Not only our past sins, but forget your past achievements. Don't live in the glory of yesterday. I love history. I love looking back at the history of this church. And I'll spend time reading some of the old documents and getting excited about what God has done in this place. But if that's all I ever do, how sad is that? Well, yesterday used to be really great, but today's the pits. That's where some of you are. You're living in yesterday. You don't want to change. You don't want to change personally. You don't want to change ministerially. You don't want to reach out to a new culture around you. You just want to be isolated in the past. Oh, the good old days. The good old days are usually based upon a poor memory. <laughs> because they weren't all that good. Now, they had their times. I'm not going to deny that. I'm just saying, Paul says, don't live in the past. I'm going to forget the past as I press on to the future. In other words, we need spiritual amnesia and spiritual ambition. We lack ambition sometimes, don't we? We lack ambition. The idea that there is something to achieve today and something to press forward to tomorrow. We lack spiritual ambition, but not Paul. He's pressing for the prize. Having once tasted Christ, we want more of Christ. He got hold of me, I want to get hold of him. That is, I want to get hold of the very thing he got hold of me for. I want to fulfill my calling. I want to use my spiritual gift. I don't want to waste my life. I want to press forward and make something of it for his glory. I want to get the prize. By the way, this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And it's the idea of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's real debate about what that means. But I think simply it means fulfilling what Christ has called you to do. I want to accomplish his calling on my life. You see, I didn't know Christ had a calling on my life. If he saved you, he wants to do something with you. That's why you're still here. Find out what it is. You've got to be focused to be effective. The concentration of our powers is a great help to spiritual progress. Focus. Some people are great at multitasking. Some people are great at doing a lot of things and never accomplishing anything. Not, not all multitaskers, but, you know, you've heard that statement, I'm a, uh, I, I can do everything. Jack of all trades, what's the rest of it? Master of none is a perversion of the statement. It was first risen, written, jack of all trades, master of one. But we like this jack-of-all-trades, but I can't do a thing. I dabble with a lot, but get little accomplished. No, you've got to be focused. 
What's your focus, Paul? For me to live is Christ. And I dare say no Christian should have a different focus. You'll have a different life and you'll have a different calling, but you shouldn't have a different focus. And so Paul says, I press to grab hold of the calling that God has in my life. Notice he says, this one thing I do. Forget and push forward. It was Jesus who said to Martha, when Martha was serving and Mary was worshiping, Martha, there's one thing you lack. And Mary's got it. She's sitting at my feet learning. To the rich young ruler, there is one thing you lack. To the blind man who was healed, there's one thing I know. And to the believer who's been captured by Christ, Christ has laid hold of you, then you should say, there's one thing I do. I live for Christ. And I want to grow in Christ this year. Many Christians are so paralyzed by past failures or so enamored with past successes that they become complacent. And these people have virtually stopped running the race. Remember that old hymn, Run the Straight Race Through God's Good Grace. Lift up your eyes and seek His face. Life with its path before us lies. Christ is the path, and Christ is the prize. It's beautifully written. The path is Christ, and the prize is Christ, and it's your life. Now, if you're not a believer, this, this doesn't mean much to you at all. But if you are a believer, this should mean everything. So for a new year, don't be arrogant. For a new year, realize you're not where you should be. In this next year, don't be complacent. You're not where you can be. Don't measure yourself by others. That's deadly. Because we have a tendency to find people that aren't that, that people that have no passion, no ambition whatsoever, and we say, well, I'm better than they are. <laughs> Big deal. I, I got a D, but I know someone who got an F. Or then we measure ourselves with those who appear to be spiritual giants, and we say, I'll never be like that person, so we give up. That's what happens every time I read a biography. <laughs> I get defeated before I get excited. I weep before I say, let's get going. So don't be complacent. And then strive for the prize. You say, define the prize for me. Well, I think WD defines it well. You want to stand before Jesus and hear him say, well done. Not that you accomplish more than others, but well done. The Christian life is like climbing a mountain. 
I, I was watching on the Discovery Channel years ago an expedition on their way up Mount Everest, and I said to myself, I would never do that. I think that is foolish. And people die all the time trying to climb it. But kudos to them for having a goal and being focused and trying to climb the mountain to get a little higher. Those who live in the valley and are content know nothing of the heights that can be seen. The beauty of the vista from on high. And you and I need to climb. There's a small graveyard in the foothills of the Swiss Alps. And there's a gravestone over the grave of a young Englishman. His name is there, his birth date, and his day of death. And then this brief epitaph. He died climbing. I like that. Wouldn't it be great if on your gravestone they could say, they died pressing for the prize? Let's pray. Lord, this is a tough sell on a rainy day at the end of the year for me and everyone else. We're tired from activity. We're longing to get back to routine. Or maybe we've enjoyed the time away from the normal schedule and we hate the thought that it's returning back to the old grind. Whatever it is, often we're discontent. And we don't realize that our spiritual health assessment shows that we are greatly lacking. Our blood pressure is bad. We've got some disease that needs to be taken care of. Maybe we're not healthy at all. Lord, return us to a passion to know Christ by the simple reading of His Word and to commune with Christ in this th simple thing called prayer until we become more like Christ every day of this new year. Give us some spiritual goals that we might forget the past and pursue the future with Christ as the prize. In whose name we pray, amen.